Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we give a voice to the women whose story is moving, meaningful, and compelling. When they shine, we get to shine too. So thank you for leading by example. Today's guest is Jennifer Hicks, and I'm super excited to have her here. I met her when I was out on a business trip in New York, and she is one dynamo wonder woman in business. So welcome, Jennifer. Well, thank you. I appreciate that introduction. And thank you for the opportunity of having me here and being able to speak to your audience and yourself. You're such a dynamo, and I use that word again on purpose. I mean, that's what I think of when I think of you. Um, so I'm going to call you Jen, because that's what friends call you. And I want the world to get to know you in the next 30 minutes or so, the way that I got to know you the night we met in New York City at a client event that I had. Um, you blew me away. You are a powerhouse. You are kind. You are smart. You are still strong. And, um, you know, I just find you fascinating. So I want to share a little bit of you with my audience today. So tell us about yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess my most important role that I play is mom. I have an incredible 11 year old son. Uh, he's been my sidekick and my traveling companion and love of my life since day one. So uh, everything I've done, I've tried to do uh, to make him proud and give him a great life. Professionally, uh, I'm the director of client development for Capital Fund Law Group. We're a boutique investment management law firm. And I love that role uh, because the interaction that I have with these emerging managers every day, they're some of the smartest, most driven people that you come across and, and seeing them on their journey of starting, you know, their, their goals and their aspirations, uh, it, it just inspires me and I love being able to assist them uh, how I can in achieving those goals. Um, as you know, you know, we chatted about and uh, when we were talking about you and, and your husband um, before this, I, I did law enforcement. So to say it was an interesting time uh, would be an understatement. I worked in uh, different divisions such as patrol. So I was on the street taking calls. Um, I did public information. So I did our speaking for news and media and then investigations. So I did uh, focus in the areas of crimes against children, um, child sex abuse, and then violent crimes. Wow. You're so amazing. So First of all, I'm like starstruck. Folks, you can't, I'll post um, the blog so that you can learn more about Jennifer, not just through words, but through pictures as well. Um, she is a, a beautiful inside and out woman. And I'd love to, ima I mean, I can only imagine how much you prevent problems um, rather than just help your clients solve them because you're so smart. I mean, it's, I love what you do for a living now. I think it's pretty nifty what you used to do. Um, and I could never have done that. It's so heart-wrenching. But tell me, um, let me just, before we go any further, back up a little bit to what you do now. Um, mm -hmm. Let's say I'm a client or a prospect. What is it that you would actually do for me to help me prevent a problem or meet a challenge before it really slaps me in the face? Right. So a lot of times what we encounter is, and we speak with thousands of, of emerging managers every year, and a lot of times they have such deep knowledge in what they're 
investing into or their skill set of where they've come from in finance. Uh, but oftentimes they don't necessarily think about the business side of their fund and the operational side, uh, as well as the marketing and advertising and the rules that go into to what they're wanting to do. And so what I try and do uh, with them is explain to them all of the different steps that there are, all of the various providers that are within the industry that you and I you know, know personally and, and what their roles play and how they can assist. So really my job is just to connect them and open themselves up to seeing what they need to do to best thrive uh, as a fund manager because it is such a difficult uh, arena to step into yeah. that if you don't have you know your support team of providers that really care about what you're doing and you as a client uh, and a person um, that could be a, an issue so what I do is I try and let them know you know we're invested in you we want you to succeed because that's our success I get that. So you keep them out of the quicksand and it can be quicksand if they don't have uh, the help of someone who understands business the way that you do. Yes. Um, I always so tell I them, just go, go to the SEC's website and look up, <laughs> look up some of their, their orders and judgments. <laughs> Yuck, poke my eyes out. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's really great. So I just wanted to get that clear before we move forward. You've had a really robust career. Um, first of all, I always open with my best, biggest, most important, meaningful job is mom. So I love that you said that. I'm the mom of a boy too. Now he's 18, but in my eyes, he's still an infant and I will always be my baby. Yeah. yeah, I love that. The special bond that you have with your son. But back to professional uh, accomplishments, what would be your biggest professional accomplishment? You know, when I look at it, I love what I do now. And in law enforcement, of course, there were so many cases that I worked on um, that I look back and take pride in. But aside from those, uh, those cases, you know, I think the answer to your question is not as typical of an answer. Um, my proudest accomplishment was actually leaving law enforcement um, based on my situation and, and picking myself up uh, really by the bootstraps with nothing and starting a new career in uncharted territory. Um, and I think, you know, as women, it can be so difficult for us to acknowledge our own achievements. And yet yeah. we're so easy to be ashamed, you know, of, of our missteps or, you know, something we might consider a failure. Um, but I have no hesitation anymore of just embracing the courage that it took me as a single mother. You know, I don't have family nearby. And I could have said to myself, you know, I can give up. Can give in, you know, I can give them hell. And I, I chose the latter and it's kind of my that. motto. <laughs> Wait, give up, give in, or give them hell. I love yeah. it. I love that's so okay. So I'm gonna borrow it. I'll give you credit, but I'm gonna say that um over and over because I too was a single mom for eight years of my son's life. Um I had been married and you know, long story short, I totally get what you're saying. I mean it's you've got to fight for you. You've got to fight for that woman inside the woman we see and you've got to fight for that kid. So I love that you said that. Um, wow. You just get more and more fascinating every moment. Um, who along the way maybe was an inspiration to you or, or even a mentor or a sponsor? Some women don't have those. I didn't, but um, I actually, I actually did. It was my father, but anyway, who was yours? Who was your inspirational mentor? 
Right. And I think, you know, a lot of us have so many people that have helped us and supported us and championed us um, along the way, but not necessarily, you know, when it comes to our professional careers, we had somebody to really uh, look up to. And, you know, if I have to pick one, there was one person early on in, in my career in law enforcement that really just showed what being a leader was and had that compassion. And, you know, I spoke with him previously, so, you know, he was okay with me uh, name dropping him, but, <laughs> you know, his, you know, Sergeant Skinner, he's now Lieutenant, a worthy promotion. Congratulations, Lieutenant. Um, but he always went above and beyond to take care of, of his officers. He hit the streets with us. He led by example, um, you know, and he really showed what that work ethic and professionalism, no matter what your career was, you know, what it should be. And it, probably the biggest influence that that had on me then and now is he spoke to everybody with the highest level of respect, whether it was the victim on a scene or the suspect. I never once heard him say anything, you know, negative about the community. And, you know, if we were super busy, he'd jump in and help out. And I remember just really quickly one time we were on a call and I snapped at another officer and it was just out of frustration with the situation and a call being made. And I was so disappointed with myself. And I remember leaving that scene, walking into his office, sitting down and I just burst out crying. Like I, and I, I self-reported. I reported my conduct and I couldn't still like vision his face of just surprise and confusion of, you know, his officer sitting here crying and he has no idea what's going on. And I was fully prepared for my reprimand, but instead of chewing me out, you know, he turned it into a learning opportunity and, and he treated me as an equal, not as a subordinate. And, you know, in, in my position now and those that I work with and those that I deal with, you know, my biggest thing is, everybody deserves respect. You know, to some degree, there's never any reason to treat somebody that works for you, your employee, your client, you know, with anything less than the utmost regard. I agree. I love this story. So um, I love the story for so many reasons. One is you had a male mentor and that's so important. Um, I think probably he was a sponsor as well, which is different than a mentor. Um, and I think that it's really important that we talk about the crying. So I don't believe crying is a weakness. I believe it's important that we get that out and that we can't always control it. But one thing I want to say about crying is women do it when they're frustrated, you know, they have a lump in their throat, they're frustrated, they want to think before they speak, but the tears well up and so be it, you know, that's life. Get over it, those of you who have trouble with a woman's crying. Um, You know, it's not like it was uncontrollable or you were, you know, out of sorts. It's something that happens to women when we are, um, struggling for the right words and super frustrated. That's really a sign of super frustration. Now, men, men can throw a chair across the wall and people think he's still a leader and, oh, you know, that's okay. That's not okay. That's never okay. But we don't, we get penalized for tears welling up, but men get seen, oh, well, you know, he was angry. He lost the case or, you know, so it's okay that he threw the chair across the room in anger. No, it's not. (laughs) I think it's good that you you mentioned that because I think a lot of women, you know, that might be listening are saying to themselves, why am I crying? 
Like yeah. they don't understand, you know, and they, they perceive themselves as weak because they feed off of that energy and right. they need to understand, you know, it's, it's natural. It's a, it's just an emotion that, you know, we carry that, it's biological. Yeah, it's a biophysical response to frustration. Right. Um, it's seriously, it, it's not a sign of weakness. It's our way of communicating frustration. And frankly, um, I do, when I coach women, I talk about if you feel yourself welling up, you know, you can't stop it. It's not like a light switch that you turn on or off. But, um, you know, take a deep breath and leave the room if you can, but get that out. Go cry that out. If you can't, then my um, advice to the rest of the world is get over it. You know, Um, men men look like a deer in headlights when a woman's eyes start welling up. You know what? (laughs) You can handle this. You got this. You you need to let me release this toxicity and this frustration. Um, I'm not going to throw you or a chair across the room like men might. Um, right. I am going to well up with tears. So yeah, I'm so glad that you, um, someone I see as tough and strong can show vulnerability and that that too is a strength. This is a, this is a human reaction to frustration. So absolutely uh, good example. Wow. How brave of you to share that example where you even self-reported. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you this. So in my work every day, I do a little something here, a little something there to lift other women in business. What can you uh, give us as a little, you know, guidance or advice on how, how we can do that? You know, looking back, I think that, you know, the reason I'm probably able to answer that question now is because of another woman that lifted me up. And I think that's really what it comes down to. And uh, it, it was the first department I was hired at, I was only one of two female officers. And uh, she, the other officer, uh, Detective Beam, had been there, uh, you know, several years before me. She was, you know, ingrained in the department. And it was intimidating enough being the rookie. But, you know, what was even more intimidating for me was how this other officer was going to perceive me and hopefully accept me. And it, I was concerned. I was nervous. I kind of walked on eggshells. And to my surprise, she took me under her wing. She gave me tips on fitting in. She led by example on earning respect, you know, with other, you know, male officers in this very heavily dominated male industry. And for me, I mean, she's still a dear friend to me to this day. And my advice for these women that are starting out or have 20 years, you know, it doesn't matter find somebody, find someone that you look up to and respect on a personal and a professional level and listen, you know, let them share their experiences and let them share how they worked past this or how they, you know, help change a perception or whatever their guidance might be. Um, It's so important that, you know, to me above all, always have integrity and show kindness. And if you do that, you're automatically going to be a magnet and that energy is going to be drawn and people are going to want to come to you. And you, you know, I, I encourage these women that have these experiences, you know, share them, you know, if you're able to, you know, if it's something, you know, you've worked through um, and you're comfortable at that point, share them because we feel so alone sometimes, you know, speaking of crying, it makes me, you know, almost tear up because women, 
we put ourselves in this mindset that we have to be 190% all the time and we can't. And it's very isolating to live in that world. And you have to understand none of us can be, we've all gone through things and, you know, we're together in this. Right. I have to say two things about this. First of all, I love that you said that. Um, Listen, listen, ask questions. Um, And I ask women out there, please make yourself available to other women so they can ask you questions about your journey and that you can share your uh, full story, own your story. Don't just tell the good parts and how you succeeded. Tell us how you struggled and how you overcame those struggles because that's when real life kicks in and people can relate to your story. So I love that you said that. And then I love that you advised women to listen, listen. So when we listen, we open ourselves up to the opportunity to learn. But if we're constantly talking, then we are doing ourselves a disservice because we are not able to um, learn something new. So I love that. That's a very good example. And you know what? I I think it's amazing that you um, embrace authenticity, you know, embrace vulnerability. You know, this is, this is not, especially considering you were a cop. This is not um, make-believe. This is real life. And everybody goes through something and probably more than once. (laughs) So Yes. And you can't always do it alone, you know, as we'll, you know, probably chat about a little bit later. It's sometimes you have to reach out and get help, you know, and, and that's okay too. You know, it's okay to not be okay. You know, sometimes I want to just tattoo that, you know, on, on, you know, my forehead because you forget it's okay to not be okay. And I think that women put that on themselves, but it's not without, uh, foundations elsewhere. You know, the world expects, uh, you know, we've painted such a fake picture of what a good mom is or what a good (laughs) businesswoman is, or, I mean, it's so unrealistic. Give me a break. You know, um, even the women we look up to in history, they had days where they needed help or, you know, a lift or, uh, an ear of another. So uh, I love that you're courageous enough to share that, that strong, strong, important message, um, with the audience. Let me ask you, speaking of that, are you willing to talk about a big challenge or setback that you had maybe and how you overcame it? Yeah. Yeah, I am. And, you know, just a little preface is, you know, it's probably not necessarily as applicable to, you know, your, your um, viewers that you may have commonly, but I know through our interactions, you know, with your husband's line of work, uh, and, you know, him, you know, being involved with uh, the police department, you know, in the city that he works with, um, I hope that, you know, maybe one of the officers hears this or somebody, you know, even not that, that has gone through something traumatic can, can take this and, and maybe use it towards their benefit um, going forward. Yeah, I actually have a lot of listeners who are law enforcement, military, because Mike was both, and uh, business people who follow me. Um, you know, fire fighters, a lot yeah. of people who are um, emergency response people. And uh, so that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so 
the past five years have been uh, filled with amazing highs and some really life-changing um, obstacles. About five years ago, I was still in law enforcement and I was involved in an officer-involved shooting. Um, for those of your listeners that you know might not be familiar with that term, um, I'll paint a brief little picture. Uh, my police partner and I were first to arrive on a scene of a domestic violence situation with an armed suspect um, after multiple failed attempts at de-escalating the situation through verbal communication, the suspect opened fire on us. And as a result, we returned fire. And unfortunately, um, he did lose his life. Uh, and looking back, I did not realize the effect that this incident really had had on me until a few months later um, when I was at a gun range for our department's firearms qualification. Um, before that, uh, you have a lot of um, red tape you have to go through in one of those incidents. Um, I was on administrative leave for about eight weeks and just getting back into the swing of things with the department. Uh, and then we had this qualification <clears throat> and hearing the gunfire it instantly took me back to that night that I was under fire. Um, you know, the suspect was less than 30 feet from me. And so being again in close range of this gunfire, I didn't know that I would react the way I did. Um, and after we finished our practice round, I actually looked at my Sergeant, Sergeant Skinner, and he just knew, he knew I just needed a minute and he just nodded and I walked, you know, down a little ways. There was a, a shed and, you know, just went around the corner and, you know, started crying. I was letting these emotions I was experiencing out. Yeah. And the chief at the time walked around the corner to where I was and asked if I was okay. And, you know, I let him know, yes, chief, I'm fine. I just need a couple of minutes to process everything and work through what I'm feeling. And his response to me was, no, are you okay to do your job? Wow. Wow. And, and is it okay if I say what an asinine yeah. thing to say? Uh, yes, because <laughs> it was. And I don't, I, of course, I don't think that he thought the amount of impact that statement was going to have on me. Right, right. But, Clearly but he didn't think first. Clearly. Right. That's part of the problem. And, and that's what lends the public perception um, that cops don't want to have. That's what that that's why the public perception that they have oftentimes is there that kind of um, lack of empathy. Yes, exactly. And and being able to allow yourself to handle your emotions in real time. You're you know, I, I finished my, you know, the qualification. I excused myself when everybody else had excused themselves for a break. You know, I, nothing had let it affect my job, but when I needed to feel those emotions at an appropriate time, I wasn't allowed that. And following, you know, his comments, he had recommended a fitness for duty evaluation, which, you know, is ultimately putting your job in jeopardy, saying you're not okay to perform your job. But the city manager quickly rejected that notion and it was, it was put to bed. But I learned really quickly, I, I, I couldn't show vulnerability. And you know, I have to say, I, I, this is how there's a failure to communicate between men and women oftentimes. 
that's what that is. He doesn't understand it's not a weakness. It's not, it's a, it's a processing is that what you were doing. And it's those who don't process their feelings who are a danger and not ready to do their jobs. When Absolutely. you hide it and you stuff it in and it piles up, that's when we read about really bad stuff in the news. Um, you know, where cops couldn't handle or didn't handle the situation appropriately because yeah. they're not allowed to process their feelings in real time. And I think that that guy made a huge mistake. Um, yeah. Just saying. Uh, maybe he, need, he needs a little bit of my training. <laughs> right. You know what? I, I would agree with that. <laughs> um, you know, and because, you know, you, and, you know, as you know, and, and we're, when you, are not able to then work through the emotions of a trauma in the natural stages, that's where PTSD really kicks in. Yes. At one point you've stopped going through that healing process and you're now stuck. And that's what happened with me. And I just, I remembered, you know, and I, and I looked back and I thought, would this have happened if a man had done what I had done, you know, and I know, you know, sometimes it's frustrating, you know, when you pull the woman and the man card, but it's a reality. And you see these pictures, you know, that I look at of these male officers that are crying after an accident and the public is just so empathetic and embracing them and praising their vulnerability. But, but when I did it, right. my job was threatened. My livelihood was threatened. Yeah. And it just seemed to me like such a double standard that, Oh, it is. You know, for them, it's this like, oh, look at them being able to show compassion, you know? And honestly, to men, that should be offensive to them too. Like somehow it takes like some horrible, you know, trauma event to show any compassion and empathy, you know? But then on the other hand, they think that's all women ever do is, you know, have emotions and cry. Right. I actually talk a lot about that. Um, in my sessions, but um, I think that in pe- when people hear your story, there'll be a lot of men that I know who are on the force who are grateful for a chief. We have a really great police chief here, who is um, is proud to be a feeler. You know, proud to own up to all, own your whole story, not just the tough guy persona but the real you inside out. So I think this is fascinating and I think it's a danger to our society as a whole that we have people in leadership positions who don't understand what whole self means. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're in a better place. And I think what you're doing is fascinating now. Um, Of course you have a story like no other podcast guest I've ever had. Um, I can't wait to share your story. You're fascinating. Um, You're also, a great conversationalist. You're um, a good networker. You are, I can imagine that you're fantastic in the job that you have now as well. So uh, it looks like things turned out for the better for you. And I want to just tell you right here, right now, if you ever want an ear to listen or a shoulder to cry on or, you know, call me or text me or email me, because I agree with you that we need to make ourselves available for others Uh, men and women to lift each other up. Absolutely. And likewise, and, you know, I hope that anybody listening, you know, and I know you express this all the time, you know, reach out to you and I hope, you know, if they're going through something and they want to be able to talk and in confidence and, and just, you know, hear my advice or just have me listen. I'm, 
I'm a great listener and I'm happy to, you know, with anybody that, that would need it. She means that folks. I know. Um, all right. Well, listen, if somebody does want to reach out to you, how can they reach you? Yes. So the best way is most likely probably my LinkedIn, which I know you have. So um, you'll share that. Find me under Jennifer Hicks. Um, and then I, I also um, just put in there uh, just some additional resources that were the uh, treatment center that I went to for my PTSD. It's an amazing, amazing program um, that helps both active and retired military and, and first responders uh, work through, you know, their PTSD and a specialized treatment program that is free. Um, there's nonprofits that also work with this group to get out of state officers or military here um, for this treatment as well. So um, I'm happy to talk with anybody that wants to about that as well. Very nice. Very nice. I would love to have you as a speaker at one of my events. Oh, I be honored. Great. Yeah. So yeah. I've never offered this on a podcast before, <laughs> but um, yeah, so this year we are booked in Houston. We have all our speakers next year. We'll be in Chicago if you're interested in speaking there, but the year after that we'll be in Philly. I know that's a little closer to where you are. Uh, and then I'll start back over on the West coast and make my way across the country again. But um, let me know after this call, if you're interested, I'll put you in the, um, speaker roster for Chicago because I think you're fascinating and your story is so amazing. Well, you know, I would be honored wherever you'd like to, to, to put me. I'll be there. <laughs> I, I just love you and your podcast and, and what you're doing and sharing and that you include men and women. It's just yeah. making some great changes that are for the better. And I just, I, I'm so proud of you. I don't know if I'm <laughs> That's so silly to say, but I am. No, Jennifer, I feel this virtual hug. <laughs> <laughs> You're so awesome. All right. Well, folks, look for the blog. I'll write about Jennifer. I will share all of her contact info for those of you who would like to reach out to her. Um, you know, she makes herself available for you to reach out to her. So I will have that ready today. I'm actually, well, you know, well caught up, finally. Um, so I'll have that available today and I hope that everyone understands that you need to be here now and understand that not everyone reacts the way you react and we should listen with empathy and not judgment. That's perfectly put. Well, have a good day everyone. And thank you, Jennifer, so much. Thanks.